This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. The rings were rectangular and smaller then. And John L. Sullivan could remember how the ropes felt against his bare back. How his hands felt in gloves for the first time. He could remember how his knuckles felt when they'd slam into a man's jaw, get in under his ribs, crack the bridge of his nose like ice underfoot. And he could remember getting hit and remember not caring. Not during that night in 1878. It wasn't his first fight for sure. He didn't make it to 21 as an Irish kid in South Boston back then if he didn't know how to throw a punch. But that night was the first time he got paid for it in a tiny ring on a tiny stage, in between the comedians and the chorus girls and the magicians at a music hall in Roxbury. He could remember the man he fought, vaguely, Mike something. Could remember hitting him. Could remember how it felt, how it felt good. Remember connecting with the big right of the jaw that knocked the big man out and sent him through the ropes and over the edge of the stage and into the orchestra pit and on to the cowering cellists and violinists below. Can you remember turning to face the crowd, sweating, surely bleeding, and hearing it roar? At least he thought he could remember. It was a long time ago, and there had been so many fights, and so much life between then and now, between Boston and St. Louis. It was the summer of 1904, and the greatest athletes in the world had descended upon the American Middle West for the Olympics. And the most famous athlete of all sat on a bar stool in a saloon on Market Street, talking, per his contract, to anyone who bought a drink. All day, all night. And the crowds came, lined out through the door, glad to see the famous man they had been reading about in the papers for years. The man some of them grew up wanting to be the man they loved from afar and whom they were now getting a chance to see up close. Celebrities are always so much smaller than you think they'll be. And Sullivan was too, even though he'd gotten so much larger lately. He wasn't the 195-pound panther who knocked out Patty Ryan in Mississippi or knocked John Flood, the bullhead terrier, down eight times in eight rounds on a barge in the middle of the Hudson floating free of New York's anti-boxing laws. He didn't look like the man who beat Jake Kilrain in 1889, bare-knuckled, in 108-degree heat in front of 3,000 people who were sure Sullivan was done for when he threw up right there in the ring in the 44th round, but then kept fighting until Kilrain quit after the 75th. That wasn't quite the same man who teetered on the stool at the end of the bar. A hundred pounds heavier, his breath labored and rank, his face misshapen, puffed and pale from too many beers and too many shots of whiskey, too many shots to the head. He could still remember the stories, could trip over the details in the fog, and give his fans their money's worth, telling of punches he'd thrown that landed like pianos plummeting to the sidewalk, like felled redwoods, like meteors. And the punches he took the ones that knocked him down but not out. Because John L. Sullivan, at least the John L. Sullivan, he still was in his own mind, was not a man you knocked out. He was a man who got up. 
even if he needed a little help now getting off the bar stool to pee. He told the drinkers of his coast-to-coast tour when he fought 195 times in 135 towns in 235 days, taking on anyone who stood up to challenge him and taking home a king's ransom along the way. He told them of meeting the kings of Europe and of his personal friend Teddy Roosevelt, of fighting to a 39-round draw, no gloves, three hours, all in the rain at a French chateau, and of the women and of the parties. And so people kept coming in to the saloon, and they'd sit for a while and drink their drink and hear a story. They probably didn't hear much about the one time he did get knocked down by the younger, faster, fitter Jim Corbett and how he came to on his back, looking up at the fuzzy halos of electric lights strung over the ring long after the referee reached ten and how he swore he'd come back but hadn't yet and how his drinking got worse and sometimes he couldn't make it up on stage in his second career as an actor how he'd forget his lines how he'd wind up in the drunk tank or wind up throwing someone through a plate glass window. He didn't tell them how all the stories kind of folded together and got harder to remember. He probably didn't talk about that with the people buying him drinks. But they probably noticed anyway. Maybe that's what they talked about on their way home or told their friends the next day at work. Because his stories didn't matter. And to them, they had their story. The time they met John L. Sullivan, the Boston strong boy. And Sullivan's time wore on and he was still on the bar stool at the saloon in Market Street in St. Louis, getting sloppy and surly, sleeping with his head on the bar in the middle of the day. Days after, the last of the crowds came in to hear one more story, and the bartender told him to get up and get going. And John L. Sullivan got up, because he was a man who gets up. He resolved that day never to drink again. He resolved to get back into fighting shape, He resolved to live clean from that day forward. And he didn't. He was an alcoholic. And he couldn't just burn that off with a jump rope and a medicine ball. And it destroyed his liver and made a mess of his insides. And the fights took care of the rest. And he died at 59 years old. Which is young, but really. But let's go back to the bar stool. Where do we put our heroes when their capacity for heroism disappears? When their knees go, when their bat speed or their hops or their vertical or their velocity finally fails them, finally fails us. There are halls of fame. There are highlight reels, old timers days. There are cable networks with 24 hours to fill. And there are bar stools in St. Louis. There are casino lobbies in Atlantic City. There are folding tables set up at card shows in the multi-purpose rooms of Holiday Inn Expresses off the interstate. And then there's John L. Sullivan. The rap on Sullivan, the capper to the blurbs in the boxing books, the kicker to his Wikipedia entry, is that boxing's first great champion, the first athlete to earn a million dollars, died with 10 bucks to his name. And that's true, more or less. But between the bar stool and his death 14 years later, there was a lot of life left in him. He'd fall off the wagon. He'd climb back on. He'd mount a comeback. 
and he'd come back down. He was a sports writer. He was a farmer. He lectured on temperance and manly virtue. He'd start a business, and it would fail. And he'd start another, and it would fail. He was a widower. He was a hail fellow, well met. He was a man who got up. 